From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where Michelle discusses the issues of the day with The Conversation's politics team. Hi, my name is Amanda Dunn. I'm the Politics and Society Editor for The Conversation, and I'm speaking with Michelle Grattan. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Amanda. Michelle, we finally now know when the date for the referendum will be announced. What do we actually know so far? What we know is there'll be an announcement by the Prime Minister next Wednesday. Now, we don't know, of course, what the actual date for the vote is, but we expect it to be October 14. However, it is possible, and I stress possible rather than probable, that the government could go a week earlier than that. That would still fulfil the Referendum Act's timetable. It would be after the football finals, but there are school holidays in a number of states on the earlier dates, so uh, the tipping is still the 14th. We also know that the Prime Minister will attend a number of uh, campaign events uh, through the weeks running up to the referendum, but he won't be out campaigning every day of the week. It'll be business as usual for much of his activity. Right, so it won't be like an election campaign in that sense? No, the government wants to stress that uh, it will leave the uh, driving of the campaign to uh, uh, the more grassroots organisation, the Yes 23 campaign organisers. All right. And Michelle, the intergenerational report, which outlines Australians' needs into the 2060s, so helps us plan for what we might be facing in a generation's time. It will be released in full tomorrow, but we already know some of the key bits of it. What are the headlines so far? I guess the big headline is that uh, we are an ageing society and uh, that, of course, has a range of consequences. This is hardly new news. We've known this for some time and earlier intergenerational reports have uh, stressed that point. We know that uh, the population is expected to be more than 40 million by the early 2060s. We also know that the care economy will expand from a present 8% of GDP to around 15%. And uh, that, of course, has great consequences for uh, recruiting a workforce, for training, for the way you pay people who do this work. The good news includes that life expectancy will increase and people will lead healthier lives for longer. Also, it's quite interesting that because we have a compulsory superannuation system, there will be a decline in the uh, proportion of spending on aged pensions and other income payments for elderly people over the period that's covered by this report. On the other hand, spending on tax breaks for superannuation will increase. But I should make the point that the intergenerational report is based on things going on as they are. In other words, it doesn't take into account policy changes by future governments. And of course, there will be many, many such changes over a 40-year period. So these reports shine a a light on the future, but it is a light that uh, is somewhat shaded because it can't anticipate what governments will do over such a long time span. 
But presumably there's some circularity there in the sense that this document will feed into those policy decisions. Otherwise, there's not, not much point in having it really, is there? Well, that's right. It will feed into the decisions. But on the other hand, when you are making significant policy decisions, say on the shape of the tax system in the future, a, a range of choices are before a government. They can be bold, they can be conservative, they can put a lot of emphasis on pursuing a more equal society, or they can play down that emphasis. So it's a a volatile situation over such a long period. All right, and Michelle, Labor's annual conference took place last week with what turned out to be some fairly muted debate on AUKUS and other issues. As you've pointed out before, these events are highly staged managed these days. Do they still actually serve a purpose? And if they do, what is it? (laughs) I think it's important, uh, especially in the Labor Party, for the rank and file to feel part of the operation. Now, it is a smaller part than it once was in most respects, although it should be remembered that uh, the rank and file these days does have a big say in the choosing of uh, a Labor leader where there's a a contest as there was uh, when Labor was thrown out of power and you saw the battle between Bill Shorten and Anthony Albanese. The rank and file has a 50-50 say in the outcome of that with the Federal Caucus having also a, a an equal say. But in this case, it was significant, I think, that a lot of work was put into trying to get as much of the rank and file as possible on board for the AUKUS decision. This was very contentious in the branches. A number of party members, a significant number of party members, were critical of AUKUS. And of course, some leading figures like Paul Keating were outspoken. So the government did a lot of work in the run-up to this conference, and you could contrast that with the way when in opposition, and this AUKUS announcement came from Scott Morrison, Anthony Albanese jumped on board very quickly and had his front bench and, and the caucus uh, do the same because he wanted to remain a small target. So while the conference is not what it was in uh, some former decades, it still has a role, I think, to play. And I think that uh, the delegates to the conference, even though they hadn't uh, really swayed things as it were or or changed the course of the government, they did leave Brisbane in a a relatively uh, benign mood about the government. Yes, and and Albanese also stressed uh, that he was looking towards a second Labor term with a with an election expected in 2025. So I imagine that's a motivating factor for behind the unity as well, Michelle. His message was very much, don't rock the boat. We are doing a lot of things. All right, we're not doing a, a quite as much or going quite as fast as some of the more impatient uh, rank and file members might like. But uh, if you frighten the horses too much, well, you won't be there for that long to implement reforms. And the reforms you have implemented will be more able to be destroyed by a subsequent Conservative government. And I think that that message was taken on board by the conference and uh, it didn't rock the boat. Yes. All right. Well, Michelle, thank you very much. It's great to talk with you as always. Thanks, Amanda. Our theme music is by Blue Dot Sessions. 
You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.